BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The Bowery Boys, episode 44, Rikers Island. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello there, and welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. Tom isn't with me today. Now, we usually try and base these podcasts around locations that you could actually go out and visit yourself. And if we do shows about people and events, we try to throw in a few present day places that are associated with those. Well, today's podcast is on Rikers Island, and I hope that you never, ever get to go there. The closest most of us will ever even see Rikers is when you're on a flight from LaGuardia Airport. Rikers Island is the world's largest penal colony, an entire island devoted to prisoner incarceration. It's odd to think of this big island out there in our city that's exclusively devoted to jails. There are 10 different jails on Rikers Complex, and almost 130,000 people that go through them each year, up to 15,000 people at any one time. However, this isn't going to be so much of a story about correctional history. We're going to go on a tour basically back to a kinder, if not necessarily gentler day of Rikers Island. The story involves a cantankerous Dutch landowner, the setting for some rather pugnacious boxing matches, old John Jacob Astor, and a very strange gift from Salvador Dali. And yes, yes, folks, I get to fit in Peter Stuyvesant. So sit back and let's go to prison. I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling around a bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when I'm stuck in Folsom Prison And time keeps dragging on But that train keeps rolling On down the San Antonio as you know, New York is actually made up of dozens of islands. You have the obvious islands like Manhattan and Staten Island, the tourist-friendly islands like Ellis and Liberty Islands. You have residential islands like Roosevelt Island and City Island. You have uninhabitable places like those in Jamaica Bay that are actually islands of bird sanctuaries and protected habitats. Then, of course, you have Coney Island, which isn't even an island at all. The 415-acre Rikers Island is in an odd class by itself. It sits smack in the middle of the East River, separating the Bronx and Queens. It's technically part of the Bronx, but the only way for most people to get there is from a bridge linking it to Queens. Now, when you hear the words prison island, you're probably thinking of these long-term facilities like Alcatraz in San Francisco, or maybe even the notorious French Devil's Island. But Rikers isn't quite as hardcore as all of those. In fact, if you're spending more than a few years at Rikers, it's probably because you work there. The 10 jails at Rikers deal mostly with short-term criminals, 
men, women, and adolescents who are convicted of crimes with terms of less than two years. Many of Riker's inmates actually work on the island or elsewhere. Notably, if you're unlucky enough to get shipped upriver to Rikers, it's likely that you'll even do some time at Hart Island, which serves as New York City's official city cemetery and Potter's Field. And get this, as a state-run facility, it costs New York taxpayers $860 million a year to maintain for a place that you hope that you'll never visit. It's pleasing, though, to discover that the Riker of Rikers Island isn't some famous corrections officer or some notable prisoner, but does in fact trace itself all the way back to the time of Dutch occupation. Yes, back to Peter Stuyvesant. The island is named after Abraham Riken. That's R-Y-C-K-E-N, though there's a vast variety of different ways to spell it from what I've been able to find. Riken, whose name would be altered to Riker by later generations, was an adventurous and wealthy Dutch landowner in the tradition of his compatriot Jonas Bronck, who would of course give the Bronx his name. Riken came over from Holland in 1638 at age 25 and started a family in the city of New Amsterdam. One of his first homes was actually on today's Prince Street. And like many, many future New York real estate speculators, he of course was buying up property all over the place. In his first year in the New World, as a matter of fact, he owned for a time the land that would later become the new town of Brooklyn, later to become Brooklyn. Riken would have thrived in today's New York because he loved to sue people. The early records are filled with all sorts of land and property grievances that he had with other people, and of course, a few that other people had with Riken. For instance, in 1842, Riken sued a man for slander who had been telling his neighbors that Riken had stolen the man's pigs and then cooked and ate them at his home. Well, when it was discovered that, in fact, Riken had cooked and eaten the pigs, the slander charge was obviously dropped. Riken was definitely around in 1647 when the Dutch booted out their ineffectual leader, William Keft, and installed the imperious one-legged director and our dear friend, Peter Stuyvesant. A few years later, in 1654, Peter granted Riken a small patch of land in what is today northern Queens. In fact, it's exactly in the area where LaGuardia Airport is today. Riken packed up his huge family and went out there to build a very sizable farm. But there was that big island sitting out in the water and right in front of his farm, which was apparently at the moment without any owners, any Dutch owners, that is, or at least... Riken thought at the time. So after 10 years of basically looking at it with this big juicy area of farmable land in the middle of it, Riken finally received the grant for the island which would bear his name, granted by Stuyvesant on August of 1664. August 1664. That sounds like a significant date in Stuyvesant's life. The next month, in September, the British swept through New Amsterdam Harbor, ran out Stuyvesant, and took over the entire territory, and of course rechristened the place New York. Great timing, Riken. Fortunately, the general consensus from the Dutch settlers throughout New Amsterdam was that Stuyvesant and the West India Company weren't the greatest custodians of their well-being in the first place, and as we mentioned back in our Stuyvesant podcast, they basically accepted the British occupation without much of a problem. But Riken had another little problem. Stuyvesant had given him a land grant for an island that had already had an owner. In the same month that Riken bought it from the Dutch, a man named Hallett, or Hewlett, depending on, again, which source you're looking at, 
bought it from the Canarsie Indians, who were presumably there before any of these white Dutch people were. So then, any land dispute between these two parties would have to be settled by the British, who of course had just gotten there. As Hewlett hadn't checked with Stuyvesant before purchase, and as the British opinion of Indian territorial legitimacy was, let's say it was rather low, Riken became the legitimate, British legitimate, owner of the island that forever bore his name on December 24th, 1667. The island then stayed with the Riken clan and his children and his children's children, and believe it or not, may only have been used for farming, and with no one even living there for almost 100 years. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened. But soon, a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondry's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states in Canada where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, The Underground Railroad, early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. It wasn't until 1785 that members of the Riken, now Riker family, built a house on the North End and actually lived on the island. Now, considering the thousands of people who would end up living on Rikers in the 20th century, it seems a little odd to you know, have a single family grow up there on this small plot of farmland with a few chickens and a cow. They pretty much lived off the land and could only get to the mainland by boat. But keep this in mind, up until now, Rikers Island was only 80 or so acres, not the 415 acres that it would soon become. The Riker family moved off the island in the 1840s and decided it might be a tad more lucrative for them if they simply leased the island to people. The first lease in 1847 stipulated that the leaser could do whatever they wished on the island, except they couldn't cut down a small grove of apple trees. Eventually, in 1855, even leasing wasn't quite enough, and so the Riker family just sold the entire island, 201 years after their ancestor had first purchased it. After decades of genteel and bucolic living, now that it was in the hands of various owners, Rikers would enter its probably its most violent phase, believe it or not, as the site of some of the earliest prize fighting. In the 1850s, most boxing, most prize fighting at this time, only took place in really rough and tumble bars, essentially bars on the Bowery. And since in this period, this wasn't even considered a legitimate sport, it was obviously looked down upon and often busted by the city. So anxious sports fans would use sparse locations like Rikers to hold these illicit fights. In fact, in 1855, a boat of almost 300 boxing fans crawled from a dock on Rivington Street in Lower Manhattan 
up to Rikers Island, and there they cheered on a fight that lasted almost three hours. Although the coppers would get wind of these illegal fights, they would continue to occur on Rikers for over a decade. More legitimately, in the 1860s, Rikers also became a very crowded Civil War training camp. A series of infantrymen would be trained on Rikers Island from 1861 to 1865, most notably at least two African-American regiments, and most famously, a group called the Anderson Zouaves. A Zouave regiment was actually kind of a weird thing to see on the battlefield. They were modeled after the French military, and they often dressed in quite colorful pantaloons and ornate sashes. They were fancier uniforms than the traditional Union Army getup, and part of the reasons these soldiers could afford them is indicated in the name the Zouaves gave the training camp at Rikers Island. They called it Camp Astor. John Jacob Astor, that's Astor III, was a huge financial supporter of the Union military, and especially the Anderson Zouaves. In fact, a coalition of upper-class ladies would meet at the Astor Library in Manhattan, meet there to collect donations, and even stitch together the Zouaves' colorful uniforms. The Anderson Zouaves have another unique tie to Rikers Island. Their commander was named John Lafayette Riker, who just happened to be related to the former owners. By the end of the war, Rikers Island, like other New York islands, like Governor's Island, would actually be used as a prisoner of war camp for over 3,000 captured Confederate soldiers. Over the next several years, the island would be passed around from owner to owner until 1884, when it would be sold to the city of New York for $180,000, which is about the price of a Manhattan closet today. In an unintentional tribute to both its past and its future, the city at that time would build a very small jail farm on Rikers to house a small number of inmates. If that doesn't sound too terribly awful an incarceration, it's what the city added next that must have been unbearable. Trash. Lots and lots and lots of trash. Rikers unofficially became one of the many places that the city would use to dump its waste. In fact, remember how I said the Rikers was only 80 or so acres? Well, thanks to all this garbage and some rather controlled landfilling later in the 1950s, Rikers would over time grow to its present size of 415 acres on a foundation of garbage. Up until this time, New York prisoners had been held in a few places, but most significantly downstream at Black Whales Island, now, of course, called Roosevelt Island. In 1932, the city decided to relieve that overcrowded and miserable structure by building its very first jail at Rikers. That building, which is now called the James A. Thomas Center, still stands today and would eventually be joined over the course of decades by nine other specific facilities. Up until 2004, there were even a couple old Staten Island ferries refashioned to become floating jails and docked along the edge of Rikers Island. Some of the current facilities are specifically used for adolescents, for women, there's one for the infirm, and there's one for, quote, inmates who require extreme protective custody because of the notoriety or the nature of their case, unquote. And that leads me to some of Riker Jail's more notable guests, if you will. And don't judge because they have paid their dues. They include jazz legend Sonny Rollins, Sid Vicious, the future Reverend Al Sharpton, State Senator Guy Valela, mob man John Gotti, and of course, rap princess Foxy Brown, who as of the recording date of this particular podcast was just released from Rikers last Saturday. The legendary chess master Bobby Fischer was at Rikers too, just not as an inmate. In 1960, he played, and naturally defeated, 20 prisoners while the prison band played and hundreds of imprisoned people looked on. And then of course, there's the story of Salvador Dali. 
Salvador was slated to actually speak to some art-minded inmates in an informal lecture as a favor to the commissioner of the Department of Corrections, whom he had met at a party. But on the day he was supposed to go, which was on February 26, 1965, he was totally ill, bedridden at the St. Regis Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. However, as an apology to Rikers, Dolly sent them a pencil sketch of his famous Christ crucifixion scene and then signed it for the dining room of the prisoners at Rikers Island. And that's where it hung, all right, in the inmates' cafeteria, virtually unmolested, probably a few coffee stains here or there, from 1965 to 1981. It was then moved to the prison lobby for fear that something might happen to it. And something did happen to it. In 2003, it was in fact stolen by Rikers prison guards. In fact, by the assistant deputy warden. The genius part of this tale is that the bandits had attempted to replace it with an inferior drawing that they hoped would confuse people for a time. Except that they forgot to put it in a frame, and oh yes, they stapled it to the wall. The men have been arrested, and although I haven't verified this, might actually have been sent back to Rikers as prisoners. The dolly drawing, however, has never been found. Rikers today, is, it has its own chapel, its own laundromat, a bakery, and even a tailor. Now, you can't go there without permission, of course, but if you could, you would have the luxury of actually taking a bridge over. The Francis R. Buono Memorial Bridge, which was built in 1966. But up until then, so basically from Peter Stuyvesant time to the era of Salvador Dali and Bobby Fischer, you could only get there by ferry. So that's my little tale of Rikers Island. Thanks very much for listening. Please check out our blog at BoweryBoysPodcast.com with lots of uh, juicy little tidbits and things you can throw out to your friends at parties and such. Tom will be back next week. We have a great one lined up. Thanks a lot for hanging out with me and have a great New York week whether you live here or not. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.